Welcome to Ghoulish Tendencies. I'm Gabby. And I'm Kim. And we are two paranormal investigators who delve into the depths of the famous and not-so-famous cases of Moida ghosts, legends, and lore with a healthy dose of debunking. We will be doing some debunking tonight. <laughs> Woohoo! This is going to shock everyone that Kim is going to be debunking something. <laughs> what? I feel like at this point people just welcome and expect it and that's why they're here, right? I mean, one of these days I'm going to like blow y'all's mind to be like, Kim believes. <laughs> is that like your full name, Kimberly, but instead of Kimberly, it's Kim believes? We've just leveled up on dad jokes, friends. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> this is just me on a regular day. That's true. That is true. <laughs> um, well, I, you know what? I will say this one is weird. <laughs> Yay. We love weird. It got like, I think it's weird. And oh. it has some stuff where I'm like, okay, okay. <laughs> Can't wait. Uh, so we, we, we have people who've requested some more of our curse movies, and I do enjoy debunking things. And movies. And movies. And curses. Not so much curses. <laughs> I mean, I enjoy the idea of it. You more so enjoy debunking the curse. That is true. Uh, okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm curious, though, because we, we talk about curses. We've, we've covered a number of curses. Uh... Not just movie curses, too. We've covered a, a number of, of cursed things and, and stuff and whatever. Chairs. Where, like, where do you... Do you, do you genuinely believe in a curse? Like, do you think it's something that could actually happen to a person or a situation or an item? Where, where, where do you stand there for, like, in, in your evolution of, of b- belief and stuff? I think belief is a strong thing. Okay, that's fair. And I think... People can kind of curate something into existence if they believe in it hard Mm -hmm. enough Mm -hmm. to a degree, whether they're intending on doing that or not. That's a whole other thing. But like, I've definitely seen situations where people like, this is kind of like a stupid example, but like, you're around a bunch of people that might be sick and you're like, oh no, I'm going to get sick. Like... And then you stress out over potentially getting sick and then you get sick because you've been so stressed out and you're putting in your head that you get sick. Like, well, not necessarily from the people that you were around, but because of the hyperfixation on that. And like stress does things to people sure, that absolutely. like physically affect them. So mm-hmm. like heart attacks, mm-hmm. strokes, what have you, like life threatening things that we see that pop up in curses. Mm hmm. I think it depends on the predisposition of the person and the knowledge of whether or not a person is, is in existence. So, for sure. example, instead of, like, telling someone 20 years later that this movie you worked on was cursed because, you know, it's, somebody died on set versus I walk into a place that is cursed and I think something bad is going to happen to me. Right. You know what I mean? I think it depends yeah. on on the circumstance. There's There's a big psychological component to it. I mean, it's, For it's sure. we encounter this as investigators. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons why we go into investigations blind whenever possible is 
if you go in thinking, okay, I know there's a ghost that supposedly haunts the kitchen and does these things, you're going into that situation with these ideas already in your head. Exactly. Or when we're sharing like an EVP, and if I say this EVP <laughs> is going to sound like this, you will hear it. Oh, no, my pants. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Okay. No, I see what you're saying. That, that like, yeah. And, and I, I think that's true. Um, the more you kind of look at a situation and think it's cursed, the more you find things. Yep. And, like, okay, so for me, and I, I know there's a lot of people who, who genuinely believe in curses, believe in, in, in that, and I, I don't. <laughs> I can be such a dick and I don't want it to seem like I'm <laughs> shitting on people who, who, who believe in that. Cause it, for me, it's, it's an evidence thing. You know me. I love my evidence. 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 I like facts. Facts. Really? I, I do. Oh, no, I'm just joking. <laughs> I, I, I think, I, I think to your point, I think if, if an idea is planted in, in someone's head, we are looking for things, but, my issue becomes that is not necessarily evidence. Evidence. Um, but but I, I, I try to be open as much as I joke. I do try to be open. Um, but we're going to be looking at a, a pretty notorious film today, actually. It's, I didn't tell you what film ahead of time, did I? Nope. Oh, I, I love didn't. when you surprise me. Yes. Uh, today we're going to be talking about Rosemary's Baby. Ooh. Uh, this is, this is a little bit of a warning. I will say there's going to be times in this episode, we're going to be talking about, um, a, a fairly violent murder as well as referencing, uh, a sexual assault of a minor. And so it, it's, it's, we're not lingering on it. We're not talking in depth about it, but it, it will pop up in relation to a few of the individuals connected to this film. So if that's a hard nope, again, we have some lovely episodes. Might I recommend something in a Mongolian death worm or a Lavinia Fisher, uh, which will make you mad, but doesn't really have any actual murder. So there you go. That being said, I'm, I'm going to try to remember before we get to those points to just mention it, it would be very easy to skip it. Again, we will not be lingering on it, but I just feel we should give a little warning. <clears throat> um that being said, have you seen Rosemary's Baby? A really long time ago. <laughs> it's fair. Like, mm. I haven't seen it in at least a decade. Um, okay, okay. So my memory is very wishy-washy on it, mm-hmm, and I'm probably mm-hmm. not going to remember details. So I'll That's just okay. give you a heads up. Um, it's, I mean, it's, it's a classic. Uh, like the other films we've covered, it, it kind of tops the lists of your best horror films. Sure. Uh, you know, and when I first saw the movie, I was pretty young, and at the time, it packed a pretty big punch. Um, when I watched it again when I was older, and I knew a little bit more about the director, <laughs> uh, and 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 some of that's going to be playing into what we're talking about today. I, I'll say, I, I mean, I, I feel this way about his work in general. I find it a lot harder to watch his films. Okay. He is one where I have trouble... Um, separating the artist from the art. Uh, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. So if you're someone who has never seen Rosemary's Baby, I'm going to give you the quick and dirty summary. And this is, let me emphasize quick. Uh, so it's, it's based on a novel written by Ira Levin, 
and directed by Roman Polanski. Mm-hmm. Press save on that name if you've never heard of him before, because we'll be talking a lot about him. A uh, movie came out in 1968. It starred Mia Farrow. She plays a woman named Rosemary who moves into an apartment building in New York City with her husband, Guy. Guy is an actor. And uh, Guy ends up getting this part in a Broadway play after something happens to the original actor who was cast. They're talking about having a baby. Their neighbor brings over some dessert one night. Rosemary thinks it tastes weird, but she eats it anyway. Y'all, don't do that. If you don't <laughs> like something, don't eat it. It's fine. Also, um, like, what did they put in it? <laughs> well, drugs. <laughs> Spoiler. <laughs> she, I, yeah, she passes out. She has this weird dream that she has sex with the devil. And the next morning, her husband's like, oh, I was just me being sexy while you were unconscious. Because that's rapey. sexy. Yeah, that's rapey. No, it's the whole thing is very, very rapey. Uh, Rosemary is pregnant. She gets pregnant. And weird stuff's happening. She thinks something fishy is kind of going on. And her husband's just like, you're hysterical. You're a woman. You're pregnant. Pregnant women are hysterical. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> she goes into labor. She's told the baby dies, but she doesn't believe it. And after a bunch of shenanigans, she figures out baby's alive, but is literally the son of Satan. Fun. Fun. Good times. I mean, aren't they all? Um, <laughs> but then she hears the baby cry and she's like... You know, nobody's perfect. He's still my kid. And uh, I'm going to be the bestest mom ever. End scene. Nice. Oh, P.S. That's a spoiler alert on a 55-year-old movie. <laughs> you snooze, you lose. Sorry, friends. Sorry. And this is uh, this is our fourth, fourth episode covering a cursed movie. And each one of these episodes has kind of had something in common. We've covered The Exorcist. Yep. We've covered Poltergeist. Mm-hmm. The Omen, hey, oh, yeah. another son of Satan, and now Rosemary's Baby. And each one of these involves either some kind of demonic spirit or <laughs> a demonic child or, like, vengeful spirits. Um, so you know what was going on at this point in the 60s? What was going on at this point in the 60s, Kim? Satanism. Wow. Really? Yeah, right. That's no, okay, fun. So I didn't know this. This popped up in my research, and I this blew my mind. The Church of Satan was founded in 1966. Huh. Yeah, right? I didn't know that. And there's this longstanding story that Anton LaVey, who founded the Church of Satan, served as a technical advisor on Rosemary's baby? Stop it, really? I want that to be true so badly. And and there was people who who knew him who talked about he would tell stories from the set. So I don't know. That might actually be true. Nice. Um, but, like, that's also, you know, you got the Church of Satan involved. You got a, a movie about the son of Satan. This, this feels like a breeding ground for some curses, I suppose. Or just lots of Satan-y things. Or lots of Satan-y things, you know? Now, most of the articles that I read point to um, the first casualty of the curse being the composer of the film, Christoph Kamita. Uh, he was a really interesting guy. He was a Polish jazz musician. 
Oh. Yeah, and crazy influential. He was self-taught and apparently kind of changed the shape of jazz in Poland. That's awesome. He was friends with Roman Polanski, and he had scored uh, Polanski's films previously. Now, I read multiple accounts of what happened. Uh, there is discrepancies as to what happened. But oh, what? Please? Yeah. <laughs> but the most consistent story I read is that um, Merrick Glasgow and and uh, Christoph Kamita were drinking and he either got pushed or he fell down an embankment. He Ooh. suffered a cerebral hemorrhage. Oh, man. He was transported back to Poland and died a couple months after the incident on April 23rd of 1969. He, I guess, was in the midst of having a surgery and, and had never regained consciousness. That's sad. Um, okay, so I was reading a couple horror blogs because anytime you're delving into something like a curse, there's there's the articles about it, but then you get to the blogs about it. And this is specifically horrormovieblog.com, and it was talking about the curse, and it had maybe my favorite line uh, about it uh, written that I, I read anywhere, and that is, quote, Perhaps Kamita's blood clot was sent directly from hell to kill the man who created the atmospheric music that helped give Rosemary's baby its power. <laughs> I just really love this idea of some demon sitting down in hell being like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take this blood clot and just send it directly into this guy's brain. It's and it's going to affect everyone through music. Through music. Well, what is kind of weird is that this same thing does happen to a character in the story. Oh, character named Hutch has a fall. Is a friend of Rosemary's has a fall, goes into a coma, and then dies a couple months later. That's weird. That is weird. But is that like curse weird, or is that just like weird weird, like coincidence weird? Yeah. Who knows? Who Maybe. knows? And from what I've read, Camito was a fan of drinking alcohol. Fair. Who isn't? Well. <laughs> Yeah, that's fair. Okay, so Gabby isn't, but but one of us is. 50% chance that somebody at this table is. Uh, he may have been drinking when this happens. So, yeah, you know, that kind of thing does happen when people drink. Um, what I also found really interesting is that even though the story about him falling is the one that's re reported the most, there's also stories that what happened was he was injured in a car accident, And what I find interesting is the story where he fell, hit his head, was in a coma for a couple months and died. That matches what happens in Rosemary's Baby, the story. Hmm. Having a car accident, suffering a head injury and going to a coma, like that's still weird, but it doesn't match the, the story as nicely. It doesn't match a narrative of a curse as nicely. Hmm. And I'm still trying to figure out a concrete answer. Uh, and I'm a little curious as to why... It's hard to figure that out outside of the fact that it was the 1960s and, you know, news reporting. Sure. Uh, so in April of 1969, William Castle, who was a producer on the film, he'd been feeling the ill effects of people criticizing his film. He's getting a lot of hate mail because of the whole Satan thing. I mean. Yeah, it's, you know, that's fair. We've all been there. Uh, as many as 50 <laughs> letters a day, though. So that, that does that's sound really lot. crappy. That's a lot. Yeah. One letter said, quote, 
bastard, believer of witchcraft, worshiper at the shrine of Satanism. Oh, that's so sweet. That's such a nice come online. My prediction is you will slowly rot during a long and painful illness, which you have brought upon yourself. Also, P.S., whoever wrote this letter, because I'm sure they're listening right now and they're going to hear my light scolding. This is not a very Christian letter to write, my friends. <laughs> Lol. Jesus would be very angry at you for writing such things, I'm just saying. We don't like when people rot, okay? Jesus is big into turning the other cheek, so don't throw stones at glass houses. I don't know. Say some kind of cool thing. Uh, so anyway, William Castle, he was struck down with kidney stones. He ended up in the hospital. Oh, so he was stoned with kidney stones? Oh, my God. Stones. <laughs> Yes, yes, he was. While in the hospital, he had hallucinations centered around the movie and apparently yelled out, Rosemary, for God's sake, drop the knife. <laughs> he wrote about this. Sorry, in... I don't mean to laugh, but no, that's very it's funny. funny. It's funny. He wrote about it in his uh, uh, autobiography. And uh, every time I read that, because that quote popped up in so many articles and I giggled like a mad person. Like, <laughs> um, he, he recovered. But according to a Vanity Fair article I read, the way they phrased it was, quote, he never made a Hollywood hit again. And, okay, I have feelings about this because are, – are you familiar with William Castle? I'm not. Um, if the name isn't ringing a bell, I suspect his movies will. Okay. He was a very known well-maker of B-horror movies and B-movies. Um. He directed The House on Haunted Hill. Oh, I love that movie. The Tingler. I haven't seen that, but I love that title. It's delightful. 13 Ghosts. Okay. The original one. Yep. Uh, he was known for gimmicks, right? He he set up, he, you know, had a skeleton fly through the theater. The tingler, you'd get like electric shock in your seat. He he kind of, uh, he, was, he was like fucking awesome dude, you know? Uh, old Dark House, which is huge shout out to that movie because it's ridiculous and delightful. But these are these are classics in their own right, but they are very much B movies. Sure. So he made these kind of fun, ridiculous movies. Rosemary's Baby? Because he wanted to direct it. And the studio was like, Maybe let's not have the guy that directed The Tingler direct this movie. Um, this was by far his most legit. And even, like, he, he produced the movie. He didn't direct it. <sighs> Did he make another as big as Rosemary's Baby? No. But <sighs> big A-list movies were never his brand, even if he wanted to maybe break into that. Um, he, he died in 1977 from a heart attack at the age of 63, but you look at his career, he was successful. He was renowned for a very specific type of movie. And I, I love William Castle. I love his movies, but he was not Steven Spielberg. Sure. So it wasn't like Steven Spielberg made Rosemary's baby and then never made a good movie again. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like that statement I just felt was a little misleading. William Castle's daughter, who was interviewed on the Rosemary's Baby episode of, of Cursed Movies on Shudder, uh, William Castle obviously is, is, has since died, because as I just mentioned, like 46 mm -hmm. years ago. <laughs> sure. But she talked about all the loss 
she experienced in her life, including the death of one of her children to cancer, um, her sister who died young. And she questions like, well, could this be the curse? But for me, this is such a great example of someone looking for something to excuse tragedy. Yeah. Because it's not like outside of her father. It's not like she was connected to this movie. So yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, I'm I'm putting it in there. It's something she kind of looks at. Who knows? Sure. Similar to this, uh, John Cassavetes, who played Rosemary's husband Guy, according to one article I read about the <laughs> curse. If you can hear the quotes in my voice, John Cassavetes was not who the production company wanted for the part. They wanted Robert Redford, uh, they, a couple other actors. I think they also looked at Jack Nicholson. There was some tension between Redford and one of the producers. So Cassavetes was cast. He was Polanski's choice. Uh, him and Polanski were very friendly. But I guess during filming, Cassavetes wanted to, like, improv some stuff and go off script and explore. And Polanski was like, no, not how I work. And so then things were kind of tense between the two of them. That's it. That's the curse story. An actor and a director didn't have the same style and oh, didn't fully they didn't mesh. Get along. They didn't they get along. Butted heads. That's yeah. a curse. Yeah. There man, must be lots of uh, curses in Hollywood then, man. Yeah. If that's how we're gauging curses, uh, we're going to have, we could do a whole other podcast. We'll just be here on a while. <laughs> now, uh, Ira Levin, who wrote the novel, also apparently was inspired uh, certain sections he wrote about Rosemary's pregnancy were inspired by his own wife's pregnancy. <laughs> That's funny. Well, she ended their marriage in 1968. <laughs> the Catholic Church started in on him after the movie came out. Um, he'd been on the record for never really believing in any of it, being, you know, agnostic or atheist. And as he got older, he did say in an interview he had mixed feelings about Rosemary's baby. He said it, quote, played a significant part in all this popularization of the occult and belief in witchcraft and Satanism. All these people who hear backward messages and song lyrics and stuff like that. And then he said, quote, I really feel a certain degree of guilt about having fostered that kind of irrationality. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and he... You know, he kind of became a recluse as he got older. He, uh, but like, again, I'm like, is this really a curse? Like divorce is just divorce. That's That's just life. life. Yeah, Yeah. it's life, man. And it sounds like this is a guy who got worn down from feeling targeted. And I, I think if anything, a curse is being used to excuse behavior and some kind of like shitty behavior I don't know how I feel about that. That like, did the curse cause all these people to write horrible letters and be assholes? No, (laughs) that's just Uh, people being shitty. Yeah. That's just life. That's life. Um, okay. So this next one's a little weird, partially because it, it is going to spin back around on some things. So the exterior for the apartment building, that Rosemary lived in with her husband was the Dakota, which is a, a pretty famous and notorious building in New York City. Does it ring a bell with you? I don't think I know enough about New York City to have that 
like ring a bell. Uh, I feel like you Absolutely would true. probably know that more I, than I would because I know you the live Dakota. There. Uh, for again, it's fairly notorious at this point. Sure. It's also it's it's a very impressive piece of architecture. But um, John Lennon was assassinated outside of the Dakota. Oh, I didn't know that. So it's it's some people. If that rings a bell, they're like, I've heard that name. I don't know why. That's where he lived, and he was assassinated outside of the Dakota. Uh, John Lennon was also friends with Mia Farrow. Ah, look at that. Speaking of Mia Farrow, she was served with divorce papers from Frank Sinatra while on set filming the movie. Dang. Which, again, like... (laughs) Sinatra plays people. (laughs) Well, yeah, but, like, okay, so Sinatra was pissy. She was even doing the film. Didn't think she'd be good in it. That's rude. Extremely rude. And when the schedule kind of went beyond what it was supposed to, it conflicted with the film she was supposed to do with Sinatra. And he was basically like, it's mere the film. And she opted to finish the film because it's a film. Well, and she valued her career. You don't pull out of a film at that point. So his lawyer served her in front of the entire cast and crew on set. Oh, dang. That's rude. That is, it's not, that is like a dick move to do to a person. And again, being a dick is not part of a curse. You're just a dick. Um, Yeah. Yeah, right? I mean, like this just reminds me of, I'm not going to say who this happened to for the sake of um, privacy, but I know someone who I am semi-related to who had divorce papers served to them by their husband in their house while he was in the living room watching TV served to her as she answered the front door. So um, men can just generally be dicks. Uh, and last <laughs> time I checked... Um, Serving someone papers, first and foremost, is not the most fun thing. But if you're going to go above and beyond to be a huge dick in the way that you go about it, yeah, that's not a curse. That's just an asshole. Oh, uh, yeah. Is that um, going to be the hashtag for this? Not, not a, curse, a curse, just an asshole. Just an asshole. That should be. <laughs> um, but what's like this kind of broke my heart. So she she signs the papers, quote, in a blur of tears. Oh. And then kept shooting. Oh. Because she's Mia Farrow, and yeah. she's like, this sucks and my heart is broken, but I'm going to put in a damn good day of work. Um, okay, if we're going there, <clears throat> which I feel like we kind of have to. So Mia Farrow, um, after Frank Sinatra, <laughs> she was involved in a relationship with someone else. That would be Woody Allen, whom she started dating in 1980. Now, Mia Farrow had seven children at the time. Um, That's a lot of kids. Well, she adopted a bunch of children. So a few of them were hers biologically, and and some of them were adopted. In 1992, Mia Farrow would discover that Woody Allen had been having an affair with her adopted daughter, Suni Previn. Oh, no. And a few months after that, her daughter Dylan Farrow would tell her mother Woody Allen was molesting her. Oh, my God. So this whole thing is, is again, horrific and sad. And there has been extensive coverage of the case. But, like, I'm sorry. This is not a curse. This is shitty actions of shitty men. And, like, to say or connect it at all to a curse... 
No, thank you. Let's not. Let's just not. Hashtag not a curse, just an asshole. Hashtag not a curse, just an asshole. (laughs) And if you're using this, this is like, if you're using this as evidence of your curse, evidence, evidence, then you, you are hurting your case, my friend. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I don't, I don't, I don't condone that one. Okay. Moving on. Robert Evans, another producer on the film. Sorry, I like this. This this was this one. This is one of my favorites. Um, he was convicted of cocaine trafficking in 1980, which I mean, again, just just don't do that. Like, just, just <laughs> not a go. curse, just an asshole. <laughs> not a curse, just an asshole. Or just, not a curse, just You're cocaine. Just, just cocaine. Uh, <laughs> just cocaine. So okay, this is amazing. wait. That's a whole other thing. <laughs> not a curse, just cocaine. Yeah, that's not the same. <laughs> he got a suspended prison sentence and he had to make this anti-drug special as part of the plea deal and gabby oh no gabby this is maybe the single greatest thing in existence it's called get high on yourself (laughs) all of these celebrities took part and it was sponsored by mcdonald's what and like okay so you can find the entire thing on youtube it's about an hour long you should you should go and watch this you should actually pause this episode and go and watch this because holy shit but to give you a little teaser we're gonna play a little clip for you Ooh! and i'm gonna play this clip for you oh my gosh i'm excited okay this is we're just gonna watch this little bit because it's amazing Oh my God. Is that Muhammad Ali? <laughs> yes. You can be somebody. Wait, I have questions. Why are there children singing about drug addiction? Because they have to get high on themselves. Oh my god. That it's was so the font pops up. Olivia Newton John, um, Bob Hope, Gabby. <laughs> this Mom is not Ali. a curse. This is a gift. <laughs> you, you know what this reminds me of? What? The long lost Star Wars uh, <gasps> holiday special yes! <laughs> that you it's... can only find on YouTube because um, oh no, it's on. It's isn't it on Disney Plus now. No. Oh, I thought it was for some reason. I don't think it is. Like uh, truly, I I don't think it is. Don't quote me on that. Now I need to go look. I know, but no, the holiday special, like literally, George Lucas didn't want anyone to see it. Like that, it's a, it's a fever dream. It is it's, a full blown, like a three hour long fever dream. And in the middle of it is a cross dressing alien of some sort with like six arms teaching a cooking oh. show to Chewbacca's wife. Um, 
who is also a Wookiee. And like half of the movie is Wookiee dialogue between Wookiees. So you have no idea what is actually being said. (laughs) But are they getting high on themselves? I think they already were high to begin with because this is a fucking fever dream. That's Um, fair. And if you haven't seen it, (laughs) I encourage you to like, you don't need drugs. Just watch it. You just need to watch watch stuff from like the 70s and 80s. Which truly, like, that's when it happened. But this that's what that gave me, like, vibes of was that. So that's wild. Robert Evans, he he had to make this as part of his, his plea deal. Um, but that's not the only thing that happened to him. <laughs> is that a curse? Is this video a curse? Is that part of the curse? And this is, it's like the video in the <laughs> ring. And so y'all have seven days to show this video to more people and just spread the word that you should get high on yourself. And if you don't, you'll be cursed. You'll be cursed. Um, No, okay. Okay, so this next part legitimately blew my mind. Okay. (laughs) You're going to understand when I get there. I'm sorry. This I will say this this whole thing, this led down some places where I was like, I was not anticipating this. Um, Robert Evans was also involved in this kind of bonkers murder case. Okay. Does the name Roy Radden, does that ring a bell at all? Nope. Yeah, it didn't for me either. I I, um, I was like, I feel like I've heard the name. I can't figure out why. Okay. And as I started down this rabbit hole, which is a whole other episode, this is its own episode by itself. So stay tuned. This might be coming your way in the future. Okay. Roy Radden was a producer and a promoter of, like, old-school vaudeville shows and music tours in the 70s and 80s. Really successful. He was a millionaire by the time he was in his 20s. And this is in the 70s and 80s. That's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. So in May of 1983, he went to L.A. to meet with Robert Evans about a new film called The Cotton Club. He was interested in um, helping to finance He's 33 years old. He was last seen alive on May 13th of 1983. And on June 10th, just under a month uh, afterwards, his remains are found in a creek like 65 miles outside of the city. He'd been shot in the head. Oh, dang. Five years go by before police are able to figure out it was a murder for hire plot connected to the movie The Cotton Club. Karen Greenberger who's a drug dealer and movie producer. Wow. Yeah, that's a fun combo. She thought she was getting a bad deal, and I don't know, she was convinced that maybe he had, like, stolen some drugs for her. Oh, jeez. So she hired someone to kidnap and kill him. As one does. As one does. That's a normal step. Um, According to a witness, Robert Evans, who may or may not have been Karen Greenberger's lover at the time, that's what she said, but I don't know. Uh... (laughs) said that that Robert Evans was also a part of it, but Greenberger was like, no, 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 it was all me. So his name was cleared. But this is where things get weird. Because there's a journalist, Maury Terry, and he's convinced Roy Radden was the leader of a satanic cult. Which already, I'm like, okay, so that's that's pretty nuts. But do you know who was a part of this cult, according to Maury Terry? Who? David Berkowitz. 
Oh, no way. And if that's not a name that rings a bell, the name Son of Sam serial killer certainly will. A hundred percent. So I realized the reason why why Ratten's name was was like kind of pinging with me is because Netflix made a whole documentary not too long ago about this. Yep. And this is where I say this all by itself. This right here, my friends, this is its own episode. I love when that happens. Right? (laughs) And we're kind of getting away from the curse, but it was too bonkers to not share. Yeah, no, you have to definitely mention that. I feel like that's... Man, I feel like that's just like one of those little nuggets that we get when we're like, I'm going to do this topic. This sounds fun. And then all of a sudden we're like, holy shit, we found something wild associated with this. This is such a classic example of that. Well, and that's what I think in general with with the whole Rosemary's Baby thing is that there's so many moments like that where there's just, I don't want to say curse, but there's just some weird shit. (laughs) So, okay, so getting back to Robert Evans, um... He said in a New York Times article in 1993 that, quote, I had 10 years of a horrific life, Kafka-esque. There were nights I cried myself to sleep. So, like, yeah, he had a lot of shit happen to him, but it seems kind of more tied into his bad choices than anything else. This is reminding me of people I know in my life who make bad choices and then complain about them later. Mm-hmm. Well, at least they're not blaming a, like, satanic curse, I suppose. Or are they? Sometimes you might as well, because the excuses that you hear are just really mind-boggling. Like, the last movie he produced was How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. And he died in 2019 at the age of 89. So, like, my bro, you're fine. (laughs) Also, like, what a a movie to produce. (laughs) Right? Um, So the story most people point to when they're talking about the Rosemary's baby curse. And I'm sure Gabby, you know what I'm about to talk about. Roman Polanski. Yes. And how on August 9th of 1969, members of the Manson family cult killed five people at the home. Roman Polanski shared with his wife, Sharon Tate. And going into this. Okay. Again, Talking about the Manson family, that's not even one episode. No. That's multiple episodes. There's so much to unpack here um, and things that are not related really to our topic at hand, which is the Rosemary's Baby curse. So what I'm primarily going to focus on is is the murder itself and not going too far deep into the the Manson cult. Uh, At some point, it might be something we cover in the future. But... um, Charles Manson was born Charles Mills Maddox in Cincinnati, Ohio. His mom was only 16 when she had him. So that's, that's rough. And he didn't have a great childhood. Uh, he was in and out of reform <clears throat> schools and jail, living on the streets. In 1967, he moved to San Francisco and he kind of started collecting people, the family as they called themselves, moved to a ranch in the San Fernando Valley, did a whole lot of drugs. That's where I'm from. San Fernando (laughs) Valley. Nice. Yep. Uh, Manson was particularly fond of his young girl followers and young people in general. Like, he he was very good. He could be very charismatic. Uh, Influential, if you will. Very influential, yeah. And we've seen this with, when we talked about Jim Jones, I mean... Mm -hmm. 
there is a certain personality and a certain magnetism, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and he was good at, at knowing and picking out vulnerable people. Yeah. I think that's, 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 you know, how to build a successful cult. Well, find, find people who are vulnerable. Uh, he claimed he was Jesus. He talked about a race war. Okay, and again, this is where we sort of circle back to something that's a little bit weird. Because he was influenced by a certain song by the Beatles called Helter Skelter. Yep. And he took that as a, you know, oh, we're going to incite a race war and and justifying why his family should go out and and do some of the horrible things they did. Now, (laughs) I didn't quite get that the first time I listened to the song, so... I'll have to keep listening. But in 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 that sort of weird, everything seems to be connected <clears> way, <throat> as we mentioned before, John Lennon was shot outside the Dakota. Mm-hmm. And I hope everyone listening knows John Lennon was a part of the Beatles. You better know that. If you don't, come on. If you don't, go, just go listen to at least one Beatles song. Uh, you don't even have to like it, but it's just so much a piece of pop culture. You should know what that is. Um. Uh, But, okay, again, one other weird tie-in. The White Album, which is the song that Helter Skelter is from, uh, a lot of the songs written on the White Album were written during this meditation retreat that they went on in India as a band. And do you know who else was on that retreat? Manson? Mia Farrow. Just kidding. (laughs) Wow, but that's weird. Right, it's weird, right? It's just That is it's, weird. It's just this it's just kind of like huh. Yeah, no, that that's I feel like that's where I guess it could be easy to say it's a little cursy because there's weirdness that is kind of difficult to explain in connection. I, which I guess and I think it comes down to interpretation because for me, I, I'm a big believer in energy and, and things yeah. you put out into the universe, which can be interpreted, I suppose, you could turn that into a curse thing. But for me, this is more like, I don't know, it's almost getting into some, like, Oedipus-level stuff. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, the inevitability of fate and how everything's connected and, I don't know, it's it's it definitely made me pause and go, huh, okay. Uh, have you watched interviews with Charles Manson? <laughs> I like that. I wish I wish everyone could see the face you're making right now. If you'd like to see the face Gabby's making right now, you can subscribe to Patreon. My mic would not unmute. Sorry. Oh, um, I thought it was because you were like, yeah, I have. And it's weird. I mean, oh. yes, that too. Um, yeah, I absolutely have, especially like interviews after he was arrested and he's oh, in yeah, jail, yeah. like all of those. They're pretty gnarly. Um, They're trippy. And the way he talked was very just like, like creepy more than anything. Alarming. I, I yeah. he was messed up. He was a messed oh, up for, dude for sure. And and leaned into that. You know, I think there's times he says things purposefully to be a creep because he was a creep. Okay. So anyway, Dennis Wilson of the Beach Boys 
he was like separated from his his wife. He was living in this house, and and he picked up two female hitchhikers, invited them home for milk and cookies. Is that a s- euphemism? I, see, okay, here's the thing. I don't know. It's 1968, so I'm like, is that a euphemism for sex, for drugs, or for actual milk and cookies? Is it like Netflix know. and chill for these days, but like I don't 60s? Know. <laughs> Um, I, no, I read that and I'm just like, I don't, I don't know. But also what a detail to just note (laughs) with the milk and cookies. What, what does one talk about while eating milk and cookies? Apparently spiritual gurus or Santa or Santa, but specifically spiritual (laughs) gurus, because these two women talked about their own personal guru, Uh oh, Charlie, Uh oh, and how amazing Charlie was. Um, a couple days later, Wilson comes home and there's a bus parked outside his home. Uh-oh. And who walks out but Charles Manson? And they become buddies. Of course they do. So Wilson is introducing him to all these influential people, among them Terry Melcher, who was Doris Day's son. Terry Melcher was a producer at Columbia Records. Terry Melcher thought Manson was weird. Good on you, right. Terry Melcher. Yep. Yep. Manson wanted him uh, to, to like sign him. And Melcher was like, mm. that being said, he visited Melcher at his home um, a number of times with Dennis Wilson. So he knew where Melcher lived. That's mistake number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but eventually Melcher was like, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be signing you. As time went on, Wilson had also had enough because they were getting weird. But he wanted to avoid confrontation. And so this home was a rental. So he just moved out one day and he's like, I'll let the landlord handle it. Bye. You know what? That's a smart move. Your lease is up. You don't want to deal with shit. I get it. I feel a little bad for the landlord, but you know. So Manson has this grudge against Terry Melcher. Terry Melcher, until recently, had lived at uh, 10050 Cielo Drive. Uh-oh. He did not anymore. He had moved out. Who had moved in? Roman, Roman Polanski. And, and his Sharon actress Tate. wife. Yes, Sharon Tate. Thing is, though, okay, you know, this gets talked about. Manson knew Melcher didn't live there anymore and knew that Polanski did live there. Huh. Yeah. So... Take from that what you will. <clears throat> now, Sharon Tate, she was an up-and-coming actress. She'd filmed her her first major film role, Eye of the Devil, in 1965. She that's met Polanski. A, that's funny. A, yeah, <laughs> right? No, it, it, all come, <clears throat> it all comes around. She met Polanski in England. Uh, apparently, they didn't actually hit it off initially. Really? But, yeah, right? But later, she, she was going to be in his movie, The Fearless Vampire Killers. Another great name. Awesome. They started seeing each other. They got married in January of 1968. Um, he had at one point, he had wanted her for the role of Rosemary, but was was outvoted. So they rent this house on Ciela Drive. Sharon Tate is pregnant. Polanski is back in England working on a film. She's eight and a half months pregnant. The evening of August 8th, 1969, she and some friends, Jay Sibring, uh, watch it. Frykowski, excuse me, and Abigail Folger 
Yes, that Folgers. Of the Folgers. Of yep. the Folgers, of the coffee Folgers. They went out to eat. They returned to their home at about 10.30 p.m. Just after midnight, four of Manson's family members, Tex Watson, Susan Atkins, Patricia Krenwinkel, and Linda Kasabian, uh, they would cut the phone lines. They'd head down the driveway. Watson would claim Charles Manson had instructed him to go to the house and, quote, totally destroy everyone in it and to do it in a quote as gruesome as you can jesus linda kasabian stayed outside the gate to watch they came across steve parent who was a friend of the um housekeeper they cut him with a knife they shot him four times in the face Heading into the house, they rounded up Tate, Folger, Frykowski, and Sabring, uh, put them in the living room. There was a fight. Jay Sabring was shot. The others ran. They were pursued. Frykowski got outside but was shot two times and then stabbed 51 times. That is so many times. 51 times. That's, that's a lot of times. He was hit over the head with the pistol butt over a dozen times. Folger would be stabbed 28 times. Inside the house, the very pregnant Tate was secured to Jay Sebring with a white cord around uh, their necks and was strung up from the ceiling beams. Sebring was stabbed seven times, um, but had already been shot in the face. Tate was stabbed 16 times in the back and chest. She begged for them to spare her baby. She was 26 years old. Susan Atkins would later tell another family member who was not involved in the murders that as they were stabbing Sharon Tate, she was begging for the life of her baby. And Susan Atkins had a moment of of thinking about cutting the baby out so the baby would survive. Outside the house, the word pig was written in blood. The maid would find the bodies the next day. What a traumatic thing to walk into. Oh, I can't even imagine. Because it's it's you're not <clears throat> you're not just walking into a murder scene, which is already traumatic, but you're walking into a slaughter. Members of the Manson family would go on to kill Leno and Rosemary LaBianca. And they'd get arrested and jailed pretty quickly. Like um Manson has since died in prison. His followers continue to be denied parole. Oh no, the world weeps. Here's my thoughts. Do tell <laughs> in connecting this to the curse because because honestly, this was this was around when people really started. This was really when the curse talk started. Was was the this murder? Murders? Yeah, the Manson murders. Um, and saying it happened because of the film. And I'm not gonna lie, that pisses me off. And it, like, almost excuses Manson. It's, it is, to me, so disrespectful of the people who were murdered. And, and yeah, I think that's, that's a good way of putting it. it. It's like making an excuse. Like, I'm sorry. There was a lot of messed up circumstances that got us here, but a curse was not one of them. This is horrific and sad. Yeah. But it is, again, the actions of men. And I'm using men here not as like, oh, men, but like humans. People. 
These are people. These are people making choices. This is not someone getting struck by lightning five times. This is not an act of God. This is a dude who encouraged his followers to go out and murder, brutally, brutally murder a bunch of people. It literally is, it's making an excuse and it's also just taking away any form of responsibility. And it, it makes it cheap. It's, it's just <clears throat> yeah. like, oh, it was the, cur- and, and again, it, okay, even putting the curse aside, people who looked at it and said, oh, well, you made this movie. What did you expect? You know what I expect? I expect somebody to not murder my to pregnant wife. To not get wife. murdered? Yeah. yeah. To not get murdered. That's like the bare minimum of what I expect. So I am not a fan of looking at a case like this and attributing to something like a curse because it feels so utterly disrespectful of the people involved. I agree 100% wholeheartedly. Cool. Um, this is where we're going to get into a quick, a quick note about some of Polanski's actions after the fact, which included some... Shady shit? Uh, Some shady shit involving children. So if this is something, again, we're not lingering on this, but we're about to talk about it. Um, Polanski is is understandably grieving the death of his wife and child, but 10 years after the fact, in 1979, uh, he would sexually assault a 13-year-old girl. Not okay. Not, oh yeah, not okay. He has since had other assault allegations made against him. He is quoted as saying... (sighs) It's the curse. Just Everyone kidding. wants to fuck young girls. <gasps> oh, no. Yeah. He met his current wife when she was 19 and he was 52. He is currently <gasps> 89 years old. He is living <sighs> in France because if he came back here, we would arrest his ass for sexually assaulting little girls. Hashtag not a curse, just an asshole. Hashtag not a curse, just an asshole. Also, again, saying this has anything to do with a curse, my bro, curses don't make you rape people. That's all you. Take responsibility. Yeah. And again, if anyone's unclear, my feelings on Polanski. <laughs> I don't think anyone. Know. Yeah, you probably know where unclear. I stand. If you weren't, here we are. Okay. Um, okay, so this is this next one. We're going to try to end with a little bit of levity here because <laughs> it's all depressing as fuck. Um, this on next brand. one. <laughs> you know, it's uh, Victoria Vetri, who is credited as Angela Dorian in the film. She had a smaller part. She was a neighbor. She gives Rosemary a, a charm, I think, and then like throws herself off a building like you do. Um, <laughs> she would go on to shoot her husband in the chest. Oh, levity. Okay. <laughs> he, he, no, he lived. He was fine. He was fine. Oh, okay. Um, she'd be charged with attempted murder. This was all in 2010. She was released in 2018. She was interviewed for the Cursed Movie series uh, on Shudder. Her section is bonkers, man. Like, they interview the ex-husband, the one she shot. (laughs) And they interview her. And she's a character. Okay. And I know what you're thinking. Even our curse-happy friends are going to have a hard time, like, connecting this. But, okay. So Victoria was friends with Sharon Tate. She'd been invited out with them that night, the night of the murders, and hadn't gone. Oh. But after the murders, Victoria got real paranoid because, you know, her friend was brutally murdered. That makes sense. She bought a gun for protection as a result. Like in 1969, she bought this gun. (laughs) 
the gun would sit unused for decades until 2010 when she shot her husband with this gun that she bought because her friend was murdered. These two things do not connect. But it's weird, right? But they don't connect. But, like, yes, but, like, they're too... And it's so much later. It's not curse. It's not curse, but just, like, if you think about... The it's it's that 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 whole like what's the, weird like, the butterfly effect, you know, like yeah. the murders resulted in her buying a gun, which resulted in her having a gun to then shoot her ex-husband with. Like, it's just it's again, I don't think it's a curse. I just think it's weird. It is weird. Not a curse. Just weird. <laughs> Not a curse. Just weird. When, and I. OK, so I think that is maybe. What struck me the most about this is that this whole this whole rosemary's baby thing is like six degrees of separation yep from notorious cases you got mia farrow and woody allen and polanski and the manson family and robert evans and son of sam and there's all this even like mia farrow's in the beatles connection and how that's connected to manson and then john lennon being murdered if this I is even, wild. It's why it, I mean, it, maybe it's just a reflection of how incestuous Hollywood can be. Or Rosemary's Baby is the Kevin Bacon of weird crimes in Hollywood. I think I like the second theory. <laughs> Hashtag Rosemary's Baby is just Kevin Bacon. Kevin Bacon's baby. <laughs> Kevin Bacon's baby. He's going to see he's trending for something and be like, Kevin what? Bacon <laughs> is Rosemary's baby. Kevin Bacon is Rosemary's baby. Kevin Bacon, Rosemary's Baby. son. Oh, that was actually the what's de- funny. The devil. There was a. There's <laughs> been two sequels, I think, to Rosemary's Baby. They're awful. But the second one is like the baby grown up. Is it Kevin Bacon? It's not. That's a missed, oh, opportunity. missed opportunity. Missed opportunity. But like realizing he's the Antichrist and being like, oh man, I'm the Antichrist. That's is that him a- just like coming of age as a teenager? I think he's. I think he's like. It's been a hot second since I've seen the sequel. I'm not going to lie. I think he's maybe in college. Also, again, missed opportunity. It's, it's, um, the movie. Okay. Wait, no. I'm trying to remember this now because, again, it's been a hot second. It was, I want to say it was, it was direct. It was like made for television. And I think it was called Look What's Happening to Rosemary's Baby. Which, what a but, name. Right? But it's it's Stephen McHatty is in it and Patty Duke is in it. But no Kevin Bacon. No Kevin Bacon. That's that's a bummer. Such a bummer. Um, but if you want to watch something that's truly awful, go watch <laughs> whatever happened. Oh no, look look what's happened. I whatever whatever. Something about Rosemary's Baby. It was a sequel. Look and what's happening to Rosemary's Baby. Look what's happening to Rosemary's Baby. Um so there you have it. But so where where do you stand on this? Do you think do you think Rosemary's baby is cursed? I don't think it's cursed. I do think it's weird. I, it's but weird. I also don't know. And here's the thing too. And like as someone who grew up in the Los Angeles area, sure. And my yeah. mom literally was like partying in Laurel Canyon during the '60s mm-hmm. when Manson was doing the same. Um, it, I've heard my mom talk about it a lot of times, and my dad too, because my dad also lived in LA for a while. Mm-hmm. That's how they met. But um, and my dad was a musician, professional musician for a long time, and so the Hollywood scene was like a big thing that like 
my parents were a part of, like, you know, when they were younger. And so, like, everything was, it was like a small world. Mm -hmm. I think without technology that we have now and without, like, how big cities are now, everything was so much more compact and so many more people knew people, Mm -hmm. especially in the industry, you know? Right. And I think it's like that, too, now to a degree. Like, it's all about who you know, right? Mm -hmm. But, like, Mm -hmm. even back then it was more, more so and so much more word of mouth and... Like, actually, like, meeting people at parties and everybody at the same party, like, that was very common. So, like, it's not entirely surprising to me to hear that based on the context of timing and all of these people being kind of, like, interconnected with similar Mm -hmm. realms. And in the industry in some capacity. Right. Like, even though Manson was not in the entertainment industry as, like, a formal entertainer. But he was trying. But he was trying. Mm -hmm. Like, and... My my mom worked at the Capitol Records building, like in Hollywood, that he went to. Like, I'm mm-hmm. literally like no joke. It's it's very incestuous. And so it's not surprising to me that all these things are that interconnected. Sure. I think yeah. because we are in a realm that is so um information heavy and like we can so easily be connected to people so far away now mm-hmm. because of mm-hmm. technology, that type of closeness doesn't feel as normal. Sure. Um, yeah. But for the time, I think that was actually a pretty regular, normal thing. I yeah. could be wrong about that, but I think from no. what I know, um, it's weird, but maybe not as weird as we think it is. Does that that's, make sense? No, because again, that's where I kind of come back to it. It feels like some of this just the connections, especially, is is more about the kind of incestuous nature of. Hollywood and the industry. I mean, mm-hmm. you even look at I, I, looking at, at Mia Farrow. You know, she was married to Frank Sinatra, and then she was involved with Roman or not Roman Polanski, excuse me, with Woody Allen. Because you date people within the industry when you are in the industry, so parties. It's not That's that weird that she was friends yeah. with John Lennon and friends with members of the Beatles and and did stuff with them. It's it's. Uh, I think it's. Um, a little harder for a contemporary audience to maybe fathom how small the industry actually can be. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's, it's definitely, it's weird. It's still this weird. Is, I'm not saying it's not weird. Yeah. This is, this is one more than, than any of the ones we've covered where I've ended it just being like, that's kind of weird, man. I just really enjoyed all the name dropping. Honestly, like it, it almost sounds like a movie that like and this character is going to walk in and uh-huh. this is also happening. Who wrote this? Uh-huh. Like <laughs> literally it feels like the video you showed me of making <laughs> yourself high with all the random people that are mm-hmm. in it. But like as like a real story. Like yeah. <laughs> that's that's what it feels like. Yeah, no, it, that's that's a good way to put it. It's, yeah, um, yeah, it's wild. It's, it's wild, man. It's I don't wild. think it's a curse though. No, I think it's just weird. I think it's just weird. Yeah, because even the things like really what most people point at the heaviest or the most just like ACC is is the the, the murders the the, mm-hmm. the Sharon Tate murder. So no, I again I. I don't think a curse, but like this is 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 definitely the one out of all of them where I was just like, okay, that's 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 kind of strange. Mm-hmm. Also, just like 
really interesting to talk about. Yeah. And and I now have, I mean, like Manson family's broadly been on the list for a long time, but the yeah. son of Sam dude, I was like, I don't, I think this is probably all bullshit, but now I'm fascinated to go down this rabbit hole some more. And I never thought all of them could be connected. Right? Like, with a movie. Like, I, I never... Uh-huh. I never would have thought that. So uh-huh. even if there's not a curse, it's still weird that all of these things are like somehow interconnected. Well done. Well done, friend. Hmm. And this brings us to... Creepy Critics Corner. Creepy Critics Corner. Kim, what you watching? Uh, I did watch Sick, which is um, the new, I think it was on, it's on um, Peacock, I think. And uh, Kevin Williamson, it's his new film. And he is is uh, the person that did the Scream screenplay. Cool. And um, it's, you know, it's fun. It's it's like a really solid slasher. Um it's uh, basically it takes place during the pandemic. Like the pandemic is a big part of it. And you've got these these kind of college girls who are going to at the beginning of quarantine to quarantine out by uh, their lake house. And there's this um, person in a mask trying to kill them. And it's got some twists and turns. It was it was a good time. It's it's a solid slasher. If you're looking for just something kind of fun and, and not um it's not changing the shape of slasher films or anything, but it was it was solid. It was an entertaining watch. Nice. I feel like I would have a hard time watching a horror film about the pandemic during the pandemic because I'm still too like traumatized from everything that happened in the last couple of years. That that in itself is a horror film to me. It's. I mean, like, and and in that Kevin Williamson style, there's moments of acknowledging it like the pandemic plays in in a very specific way and i don't really want to say more okay without giving it away yeah that makes but um no but it's again it's 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 a good time it's a fun watch nice uh the other movie i watched and i actually watched this a little bit ago it made its way into my top 10 of 2022 it's a movie called the innocence Ooh. It's a Norwegian film. Uh, it's it's streaming now on Shutter, so you're able to watch it on Shutter. And man, it is it's not the easiest movie to watch. It's it's about these kids and this girl and her older sister who's autistic and autistic like nonverbal autistic. Mm, okay. Um, and Ida, who is her younger sister. She has to take a lot of responsibility for her older sister and, and kind of resents it. Like, you got this little kid who really shouldn't be doing all the things she's doing. And so she kind of pulls some shit with her sister. She shouldn't. She torments her a little bit because her sister can't express herself super well. So her <laughs> sister can't say, my my little sister has done some things. Um, and they make friends with, uh, they move into this new apartment complex and make friends with another kid um, named Ben. And Ben has some powers. Ooh, that's fun. Like, uh, 
he he can do things and they meet this other little girl and she also has some powers and the more time they spend together then like maybe Anna who's the autistic sister also has some <clears throat> some kind of connection um but here's the thing little kids being given powers little kids who don't have great impulse control and little kids who don't have great sense of permanence or or what their actions can actually do Mm -hmm. leads to some pretty horrific things happening. (laughs) That makes Um, sense. So it's, it, it goes down this really dark messed up path, but it's, it's fantastically done. And it, it was all made. I mean, it was a relatively low budget film. I think when all was said and done, um, but it, it, uh, it was Really, really well done. Um, the the child actors were fantastic. Nice, and it it will definitely, you know, if you didn't already think that kids were sort of creepy, this will definitely <laughs> cement it. So I, I I highly recommend it. It's it's again, be aware going in. This is not something you're going to end it and feel good about the world, but it's it's really really good. Nice. There you go. That sounds good. I want to watch that now. What have you been watching? Um, I, you know, my goal for this Creepy Critics Corner was to come prepared with something that would make him proud. And right. so I actually have three things to talk about. I normally Ooh. only do two, but mm-hmm. I'm going to do three today. Because I think last time I mentioned, like, a couple movies that, like, you had already you seen and talked I about. Talked about. <laughs> yeah, I, was like, I just was really excited okay. that I had seen them and was no, like, that's oh, fair. That's fair. can relate. And mm-hmm. I wanted to see them. Mm-hmm. So, like, I couldn't really speak to it. So I'm going to make up for it now. Um, first is um, The Pale Blue Eye on Netflix. Oh, which I'm not going to lie. I've heard... A very mixed bag about. So I'm curious what your thoughts are. Did I've you see it? I've not watched it yet. No, I haven't okay. watched it yet. So I don't want, I'm not going to give anything away. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will tell you that one of my husband's favorite actors is Christian Bale. Sure. And yeah. uh, so he was really excited to see this. Um, obviously, anything having to do with Edgar Allan Poe makes me excited. Absolutely. And then you throw Gillian Anderson in and yeah. I'm like, must watch, right? Yes, please. So yes. we have to watch it. Also, just the costuming in this film and the attention to detail for period piece, mm-hmm. like casting, literally like every single person looked like a paint, like a Victorian painting. Mm. It was wild. So like that was just something that I noticed. I'm sure you would also appreciate that um, okay. as an artiste. Um, now, I think the thing that I have the hardest time with is the title. Mm-hmm. Um, and so basically what this is about is it's about this detective dude guy mm-hmm. who is Christian Bale. Sure. And he's introduced in the beginning um, as someone investigating a death on the um, the property of a school for – it's basically – it's an academy for the United States, like, army, I think, in the 1800s. Mm-hmm. And so – it starts with like finding a body that uh-huh. was hung, but you couldn't like with a rope, but you couldn't tell like it, it was assumed that it was a suicide. Mm. But then there were like hints that maybe, maybe, maybe it wasn't. Maybe not. And so then you get introduced to Mr. Edgar Allan Poe, who sure. is a, a cadet at, at this academy. Uh-huh. And the way that they portray him is this like wackadoodle guy who's like 
just like kind of like an oddball Mm -hmm. um, who is really intelligent and artsy fartsy and like into poetry, but also like kind of gets bullied a lot by, by the guys, other guys. Okay. Um, And it's a, Honestly, I haven't seen Edgar Allan Poe be depicted in this way, like, ever um, in in film. And so, like, for me, I was kind of like, I wonder how accurate this is. And it made me question that from a historical perspective, because Mm -hmm. anytime you want to introduce, like, actual humans as characters, I get a little hesitant. Sure. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And basically, the whole story is a breakdown of, like, you know, who, how did this person die? And then bodies start turning up and it turns into a whole like full blown investigation of like who is killing these people. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to give away too much. Um, there's some like really challenging scenes in it that Mm -hmm. can be hard to watch for some people. Um, but I think what's frustrating is that they use a reference to one of Edgar Allan Poe's works to, as the title of the film. And mm-hmm. there is literally no reference anywhere in the film to any of the things that Edgar Allan Poe wrote or mm. any of the ideas behind the things that could have inspired his writing. Mm-hmm. Like it, there is no correlation and no attempt to tie that together. So I feel like it's a mm. very misleading title. Yeah. Um, mm. And I think it did what it was intended to do of like, Ooh, a girl and Poe watch this movie. Not like mm. this actually has a purpose to, I don't know, add to the plot of the film. Sure. Right? Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, however, there is a fun scene where Jillian Anderson has a meltdown and smashes a plate on a table and it's very funny. Um, right. so I like, approve. I, I enjoyed that the most. Um, sure. I think you should still watch it and I'm curious to see what your thoughts are on it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was annoyed at the ending. I'm not going to say what it was. It's too new. Um, so watch it. And we're curious to hear what your guys' thoughts are on it, too. Hmm. Um, so I watched that. I also watched The Wonder, also on Netflix. Oh, I watched that a while back. Yeah. And um, it's with Florence Pugh and mm-hmm. a few other different it's a actors. Lot of, a lot of, oh, that British actor. That guy who I've seen in something that I can't put my finger on. Yeah. Yep. Um, and... It's a really interesting story, and I, I I enjoyed it. I think it was a good film at the end of it. I know it's based on a book, and I haven't read the book, so I don't know how much better the book is than the film or sure. vice versa. Um, but I can say, you know, the premise is um, Florence Pugh plays a nurse, an English nurse, mm-hmm. in um, the Irish Midlands area in the late 1800s. Mm-hmm. I love a period piece, anything 1800s, I'll watch it. Um, and she goes to uh, be on watch, quote unquote, for mm-hmm. a young girl who miraculously lives without having to eat. She hadn't eaten in four months. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a, a bunch of people that are evaluating how is this watch going to work? You have Florence Pugh and you have a, a, nun, a nun because people yeah. were very religious and thought that this was a holy, you know, takeover of this girl's body, that she was like the next Jesus Christ, basically. Well, they're trying to figure out if it was a miracle or not. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And so um, I love the perspective of, I feel like there's like a Mulder Scully moment happening internally within the movie. So um, I, I really appreciated the scientific perspective of the nurse and like just trying to tell everybody like, no, you're wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I think the way it unfolded, it's really sad. It's really hard to watch in certain aspects of it. Because you're also Um, looking at a time where there was 
famine happening and and people were starving and people were dying and and disease a, and I, a lot of loss. It's a lot of loss. Well, yeah. and, and the family that the girl is in had already experienced the number of their children had passed. Yeah, although that plays into some things, but yeah, yeah, that's some other stuff. And then <laughs> Florence Pugh, you find out, you know, had had mm-hmm. a baby that passed, and so and a husband. Yeah, and so mm-hmm. you you end up basically having some empathy for everybody involved and um it's it's sad but i think at the end it kind of comes together in a really victorious way Mm -hmm. um so i liked it i thought that it was really good um and then the last thing that i watched i'll be brief with this one because i'll probably talk about it on another um topic that we do in the future actually there's a show on hulu and it's called web of death have you heard of this Mm, i've heard of this yeah i haven't watched it yet but i've heard of it I binged it super hard. It's very good. Um, so basically, each um, episode, I think there's six episodes. I watched all of them. Uh, each episode is a different story, and mm-hmm. it's based on sleuths basically investigating crimes that have been unsolved and mm-hmm. untouched or just not resolved by um any investigators formally mm-hmm. and then like kind of having the communication with families of victims and helping to solve certain crimes that have sure. been cold. Um, and it's really, really, really interesting. Um, there's this like one podcast dude and it's kind of like too focused on him in one of the episodes. And I was kind of like, can you not make this about you please? Um, but overall I thought it was great. And so highly recommend web of death as well. Right, nice. And that's what I've been watching. I know it's kind of a lot. Um, having said uh, that, thank you guys so much for listening. Um, super exciting. We have some uh, ghoulish chats coming your way uh-huh. on Patreon. If you are not uh, a ghoul on our Patreon, you will not have visibility to our ghoulish chats. So I encourage you, if you are currently a $2 or $5 donor, if you want to see a little bit more content, right now we have uh, an extra 30 minutes of um, basically it's like current event updates on things that are going on um, and our take on true crime things that are happening or weird, bizarre stuff that we're seeing in the news and um, just discussing it amongst ourselves. That's going to be on our Patreon. So Mm -hmm. uh, look up Ghoulish Tendencies. If you are a $2 or $5 uh, donor, you can also see bloopers for $2. If you want a little bit more, you get some visual references of our entire episodes without mm-hmm. taking any editing out. So that'll be fun for you to <laughs> Occasional watch. Occasional guest appearances by our pets. Yep. <laughs> or a cat butt here or there. You'll never know what you're going to get with us. Sirens. Um, Lots of sirens. But uh, there's lots of extra stuff coming your way with Patreon. I know it's been a little stagnant a while ago, but we're starting to build more content for you. So if you haven't checked it out, head on over to Patreon and see what we have going on. Um, We also have... I mean, obviously, we have all of our social medias. So if you follow us on Instagram, Facebook, what have you, you'll see some visuals of our episodes. Mm -hmm. And it's an opportunity to interact as well. So um, let us know what you think. Also, head on over to Apple Podcasts as well as Spotify for a rating and or review. We really appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Um, Having said that, thank you so much for listening. And stay. stay.